Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Raven Young Money. Yo, it's Brigham Young Money time. How's it going, boys? What up? It's uh, what day is it? It's Independence Day. We did it. We doesn't made it. Matter what day it, it doesn't matter what day it is. But I'm, I'm Kyle. Every day should be the Fourth of July. I am Jordan. How you doing, everybody? <laughs> it's Greg. your boy. It's Greg, aka Hydroxychloroquine Snyder. One of your all-timers, I think. <laughs> when I launched the Zoom and I saw that pop up, I just loved that more than anything. Um, yeah, so we made it. We're doing a little bit of a bonus episode because it's 4th of July. And, um, you know, it's it's the absolute greatest time to ever live in this country. This is the greatest country in the world, as we're told. And, um, yeah, are you guys feeling extra patriotic today? I know things are just going swimmingly all over, so... You know, I don't feel extra patriotic today because as a true patriot, I celebrate every day as if it's the 4th of July. <laughs> just fireworks in my heart every single day, just red, white, and blue, just beaten every single day. Absolutely. Greg, my, entire, my entire diet is apple pie and hot dogs. That's, I mean, that's how you get as yoked as you are. We love to see it. Um, so yeah, we, we figured we'd do a bit of an episode that's less focused on Utah stuff and talk about America, um, as, as it were, and also talk about later in the episode, what got us into politics that we, that we share at this point and, um, our quote radicalization stories, if you will. Um, there is something that we want to kind of start off with today. That's a quote that, um, I can't remember who shared it first that, that we saw, but it's from an article called 
three cheers for socialism in the Commonwealth magazine. And, um, by David it, Bentley Hart. By David Bentley Hart. And we had been kind of seeing this. Um, we had some friends share this on social media and this certain um, excerpt from it that I'm just going to go ahead and read because I think it sets a pretty good tone for how Americans view themselves and also America uh, writ large. And it starts with Americans are, of course, the most thoroughly and passively indoctrinated people on earth. They know next to nothing as a rule of the, about their own history or the histories of other nations or the histories of the various social movements that have risen and fallen in the past. And they certainly know little or nothing of the complexities and contradictions comprised within words like socialism and capitalism. Chiefly, what they have been trained not to know or even suspect is that in many ways they enjoy far fewer freedoms and suffer under a more intrusive centralized state than do the citizens of countries with more vigorous social democratic institutions. This is, at once, the most comic and most tragic aspect of the ex excitable alarm that talk of social democracy or democratic socialism that can elicit on these shores. An enormous number of Americans have been persuaded to believe that they are far freer in the abstract than, say, Germans or Danes precisely because they possess far fewer freedoms in the concrete. They are far more vulnerable to medical and financial crisis, far more likely to receive inadequate health coverage, far more prone to irreparable insolvency, far more unprotected against predatory creditors, far more subject to income inequality, and so forth, while effectively paying more in tax when one figures in federal, state, local, and sales taxes, and then compounds all of those by the expenditures that in this country, almost nowhere else, their taxes do not cover. One might think that a person who once rebelled against the mightiest empire on earth on principle of no taxation without representation would not meekly accept taxation without adequate government services but we accept that we, we accept what we have become used to, I suppose. Even though, even so, one has to ask, in what state apparatus in the free world could be more powerful and tyrannical than one that taxes its citizens while providing no substantial civic benefits in return, solely in order to enrich a piratically overinflated military-industrial complex and to ease the tax burdens of the immensely wealthy? So I don't think I've ever seen something more like... Um, encapsuling uh, of uh, <laughs> our situation as Americans because we effectively pay so much in taxes and by getting and getting so little. Um, so we have this aversion to taxation in general, despite the fact that we are just fine paying um, immense fees to private corporations, but like we get so little because we demand so little as Americans and it's just, it's depressing. So that, that was both enlightening and um, just pretty reflective of what I think a lot of us know to be true. Um, and yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, I actually remember the first time I ever, I ever read that. There's a guy I follow named Farmer Jones on Twitter, uh, right, used to write for Slam Magazine, and he just simply posted that and said, this is a hell of a paragraph. And I've had quite a few holy shit moments in 2020. Um, some some awakening moments and reading that paragraph just absolutely stopped me in my tracks. I think one of the things that that really hit me and that we've talked about in private is um, kind of the this cocktail of toxicity that a lot of Americans uh, subscribe to, and the the average American is both apathetic and ignorant to the country's history while being just incredible or incredibly blindly patriotic and, and nationalistic 
And when you combine those things, like I said, you get this toxic cocktail um, that that just fuels ignorance. And and we're seeing the uh, we're seeing the fallback, the blowback of that going on right now in our country. Yeah, and it's uh, I think it's also just a lack of like political education in general too, because trying to explain to most Americans what the idea of like positive and negative liberty is is one of those things that just immediately has their lies just glance over. So just to let everyone know too, like positive liberty is you have the freedom to do something too. So that means that you're usually protected. You usually have a social safety net in place, so you're able to pursue options, things like that. And negative liberty is you have freedom from. So you have freedom from taxes, freedom from oppression, pretty much just more like a classical liberal approach to things. And we are essentially a negative freedom nation because the only thing we have freedom from is from the government, but we're oppressed on every side by massively corporations, especially in the medical and pharmaceutical fields, because we have no control over any of those. So it's just a great time. Isn't America grand, everyone? It really is grand, um, man. And I think, and there's a lot in the discussion right now about, I mean, obviously the taxation without representation is such an, um, it's such a core fundamental thing we always think about when we think about uh, our, our uh, declaring of our independence, but we can't even get people on board to um, support statehood for DC, <laughs> which is so funny because the house just passed a bill to make DC a state, which obviously it's never going to pass the Senate. And we can't um, even get people to support giving poor people healthcare. I know. So we have that. We have we have so much taxation without uh, representation, especially when you think about like uh, mass incarceration, where all of these people in prisons um, count for populations generally, and they're they're mostly centered in like um, red areas. And those people cannot vote um, while in prison, but they count for numbers for representation. So. Yeah, we have so many sorry, political continue. games within uh, within this country when it comes to especially like the incarceral state just makes it seem like the entire government's like built like a carnival. It's just it's every single like electoral step is like trying to knock over the milk cans on the stand that's 20 yards away and one of them's glued down. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, so happy 4th of July, everyone. We did it. We made it. Um, Everyone's shooting off the fireworks. We're all celebrating our freedom. We're all realizing that on July fourth, nineteen excuse me, seventeen seventy six, we all became we all became instantly free, and there was no there were no problems with any sort of freedoms after that. At least that's what I learned from uh, Ben McAdams' video on this, where we achieved justice for all on uh, July fourth, seventeen seventy six. Guys, since we're talking about taxation without representation, I just want you all to remember that freedom costs a buck oh five. It really does. Freedom isn't free, man. So let's talk about this holiday. Let's talk about the pageantry. Let's talk about the nationalism. Let's talk about all of those things because that's pretty good. That sums it up uh, pretty high. But yeah, so... I mean, there is no like a greater like symbol of this country's um, the way we celebrate our our nationalism and patriot patriotic nature through just blowing up a bunch of shit, you know, shooting off the fireworks, um, 
wearing the colors and saying America or whatever. America, I think that's how you say it. Going to your wards, pancake breakfast, just giving no social distances and just spreading COVID like you've got the uh, spreader gun and Contra. Just rapid firing. I think the only way to really explain to someone outside this country with the pageantry around around the 4th of July is just sit them down and keep their eyes pried open like in Clockwork Orange and make them mm-hmm. watch Trump's Mount Rushmore uh, event last night. Very because low energy also. I he lost- Guys, we created Las Vegas. It's a beautiful place. It was a dream so in the warm. Come up with my gangsters. Oh, man. But no, seriously, like... The, ex- the best way to explain like American pageantry is that event because you had three different flyovers of Air Force One, the Blue Angels, and also like Black Hawk helicopters. And then you just had like the president give this incoherent speech about like how America is the greatest, but also we're threatened on all sides. Oh, and then you also have some jackass dressed up as Theodore Roosevelt. No reason. Man. Also, and then you um, have- Hamilton just came out today, I think. So everyone can go celebrate Hamilton, I think. <laughs> no, I, every single Hamilton song I've ever heard just sounds like it, it sounds like a Sesame Street featuring Macklemore song. Uh Tim Goon in the membrane. Uh, yeah, we should we should put that uh Hillary Clinton rap that my name is had. I'm here to say that well. I'm sorry, but if you're black and you're gay, well, in the USA, you uh, you just can't stay. <laughs> That's pretty oh. good. I like that. Oh, man. Yeah, so. It is fun with Hamilton, too, because a lot of people just love to glance over that he was a slave trader. Yeah. Um, well, he escaped because he was in an area. He, he was he, grew, he was born in the Caribbean. Is that is that right? And I he, think he was born in Barbados. And he escaped because he was, like, too pro-slavery or something. Um, and also, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's like the obsession of Hamilton is really weird. Um, especially it was just like among all of the, it was like a bipartisan love for like all of our elites. They all just thought it was just so great, which, you know, if there's like something bipartisan with the, that level of people that they're all agreeing on is probably bad. Um, and yeah. Well, liberals need something new now since JK Rowling has just decided to become a full turf. (laughs) Oh, Dude, that reminds me. I was, <laughs> I was reading this article. I was talking about Hamilton, and they were talking about how in the BuzzFeed, in the BuzzFeed Slack group, they had a Hamilton channel, and the people that worked at BuzzFeed that were in the Hamilton channel on Slack were arguing about which house each member of Hamilton would be in the Harry Potter universe. So there's some <laughs> some super cursed energy for you. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to die. Yeah, Come it's bad. Time. It's bad. If, you uh, the, if the Reaper's around, please, I'm I'm at my house right now. Just come here with your sickle. I'm mm-hmm. ready to go. Just let the Dementor come and just suck my soul out now. because I'm. <laughs> I will say this, though. Just to give credit where it's due. At least Hamilton is better than the fucking Jon Stewart movie. Oh, my oh, Lord, no. dude. Don't watch that. <laughs> Don't watch that bad stuff. <laughs> Oh, if you want show brain poisoning, watch that movie. Yeah, if you if you want your brain to just leak out through your nose. Yeah, John Stewart. John Stewart came out of his ten year coma, so you know that that's good for him. He's he's been out of the game for a while, you know. I'm glad he's recovered from his coma, though. That was scary for a while. Didn't think he was gonna 
he was going to pull through. Yeah, that's boy. Yeah, that's that's pretty bleak stuff. Um, okay, so when we talk about Fourth of July and celebrating it, like obviously we were all raised. Um, you know, you're raised just doing fireworks on the Fourth of July with your friends and your family and the and the fireworks and the food, the apple pie and all that stuff. And all of that is pretty innocuous on its own, like at least the way that we're all raised to believe it is. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you guys all had like a similar upbringing, I, I assume, thinking that all, I mean, there's, I mean, quite literally, it's, it's pretty harmless, gen- aside from the uh, insane fires that the fireworks start, getting together just with friends and family and having a barbecue um, and thinking you're just celebrating the greatness of our country. But I think that um, that that patriotic spirit that is so heavily ingrained in all of us um, from the earliest of ages is used very, um, very cynically against, against our, our people. And it's very, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it's, it's not as innocent as like it would seem. And that, that same spirit is used to drum up support for really horrific things that this country has done and used to help, make people turn a blind eye towards some of the actions of this country that still sees itself as the good guys because of um, World War II. And like, basically that's it. Like we are grasping to an identity of like, we fought the bad guys in World War II. So by definition, we are the world's good police here to solve the world's problems. And um, that patriotic spirit that we all are raised with, you know, and the stemming from, you know, just the fireworks and the barbecues and celebrating Independence Day, but going up to how much money the Pentagon spends on these big displays of, of power and um, the ability to destroy like when, like with NFL football games or any sports games, when they fly the jets over and the fireworks and the armed service members down on the field, like all of this is very intentional. Um, It's, It's fast food. Yes, it absolutely absolutely is. It's designed to make you feel good for a short amount of time. And it just fuels that apathy and ignorance in the form of nationalism that we talked about. Yep. Yeah. And Jordan, Jordan, I'm curious. It's designed to make you feel proud. Yeah. It's designed to pump up your chest and it's designed to subdue. It absolutely is. So that you don't, you don't think another way because it's just, it's, it grooms you is what it is. It's grooming, and it happens from the time you exit the womb. I mean, Americans are some of the most indoctrinated and propagandized people on Earth, and that is Exhibit A. Yeah, Jordan, as our resident troop, give us your give us your thoughts. Uh, well, you guys remember the Fourth of July when we were kids or younger, like pre nine eleven, essentially. Yeah, you would go to the park, you'd see the fireworks, you'd go home and pbs would have the boston pops on or something like especially just like like non-harmful it's fine but ever since 9-11 we have just ingrained everything american into the troops to the point where it's it's absolutely harmful to have any sort of discourse about the role of the military or the role of or the role of america's foreign policy anywhere because it's just all been wrapped around the flag no matter what and uh, and that's where like the criticism like Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick comes from too, is because we've wrapped everything into being about the troops that any sort of protest, even if it has nothing to do with the troops, mm-hmm. is immediately is immediately guided towards the troops. It's it, it's horrible. 
Yeah, there's not a very like a, a, a much greater example of how poison that discourse really is than the Colin Kaepernick thing, because he's like, OK, I want to, pro- to protest police brutality in the black community. What how should I do that? I'm going to ask a literal troop how I can do that. And he said, oh, it would, like if I if, if you knelt during the anthem, like that would be respectful because kneeling is generally shown as a sign of respect. So he does this and just it brings out like the absolute worst of every single person ever. He's not only is he disrespecting the flag and the country, um, he's disrespecting the troops somehow because he's kneeling during the anthem, which somehow becomes like he hates the National Guard and the Army and the Marines. Like, I don't know how that connection is made, but because everything is so ingrained off, I mean, as you mentioned, after 9-11, this, a lot of the stuff started uh, during the, before and during the Iraq war when like public support was so low for that war, but they did everything anyway. There were millions we of people We all remember protests. what happened to the Dixie Chicks, right? Yes. Yes. D- justice for Dixie Chicks because they were, they were completely blackballed for simply speaking out against George W. Bush and the Iraq war. And um, they, and just, this, they are just the chicks now. Are just, they really? Yeah, they, they dropped Dixie from the day. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah, so, I mean, so they, like, the, the Pentagon, the, um, and, and, and our country decided they needed to heavily invest in these big, grandiose displays of American power and patriotism because um, the next time, or even during that time, like, you were, if you, if you didn't buy into what America was doing overseas, or still don't, and are critical of, like, what we're doing with our military, then you hate America, and you hate this country, and you're, like, hate the troops, and you're suspecting the troops, um, and that's what a lot of this comes down to, that poisonous discourse, where people, you can't, like, being critical of what our military does, doesn't mean that you hate your neighbors because they're American or you hate everything. It's just like, like life matters outside of this country too. And this country acts like it doesn't. No, so, right. We ingrain everything into everything to the point that everything is about the military, especially sports. Sports is the worst offender of it all too. Cause um, I believe like it was 2015 that a Senate investigation came out and found that the department of defense was paying nine million dollars to sports leagues just to have patriotic displays at their arenas so yeah. every single time you see like a welcome home to the troop with some guy who just got back from afghanistan or a flyover or you see recruits taking the oath of enlistment on the field that's because the department of defense ponied up the money for it <sighs> but at least they're keeping us safe you know and, and it seems like, and correct me wrong, but it also seems in, in a post 9-11 world that um, even though we love to hear both sides in America, you can't do that when it comes to actually critiquing America. No. As if this country is above any sort of criticism. And that if you do criticize, somehow that is construed as hating America. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's like seen as like treasonous or something. It's really mm-hmm. fucking bad. Um, yeah, and I and we'll talk. I'll talk about this more in particular when we get into like our radicalization stories about that of like where I thought I fit in because of that. But like, it's so hard to find a place where you feel adequately like comfortable like criticizing um, the United States, like what they do overseas, because we're all told that we're always the good guys. Everything we've done has been 
um, to keep our country safe. I mean, even right now, like the, like the way that we talk about our troops overseas, I think we're currently bombing 12 different countries, but all of this is to protect American freedom, supposedly. And that's what it's always been. So everything after World War II was, okay, we're launching an imperialistic attack on another country, but it's to keep us safe here at home. And what that looks like materially, no one knows, apparently, because, you know, we don't have those threats here at home. Um, but not only that, so not only is that just a huge lie, but we are the, that, that the American belief that like no other countries exist like autonom autonomously and have their own strategic and political goals and that nothing we do will ever come back to haunt us. So when we think about like what led up to um, the war in Iraq or 9-11 before that, like um, we had spent an entire half of a century fucking around in the Middle East, in particular with Iran and Iraq. Um, and then all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that like, oh no, they like 9-11 happened just because they specifically hate American freedom. So now we have to launch all of these wars to protect that American freedom. Um, there's this like weird, that American exceptionalism where we th always think we are on the right side, despite lots of evidence pointing to the fact that we are not. And we don't learn about like almost any of these things. I highly doubt the kids right like in school now learn about like the Iraq war and what we actually did. I mean, I can't imagine that's on the curriculum. <laughs> we don't even talk about yeah. the things we did in even our good periods too. Like right. you can talk about the civil war and how the union army was going down South and freeing slaves, but also at the same point too, they were conducting a genocide out West. We can also talk about world war II, how the United States was fighting against fascism abroad, but at the same point too, locking up Japanese and also carrying out a uh, uh, subversion of any sort of civil rights movements here as well. We don't talk about how, how all the bad things that we've ever done is because discussing our history in nuanced terms is essentially is essentially treason to a, like half the country. And it's also an indictment on just the ugly history of America. It really is. <sighs> yeah. Um, oh, and uh, Greg, you brought up Pat Tillman in the chat, but like we, we should talk about Pat Tillman. <laughs> As, as an example of someone who's a really good example of like um, how his legacy is weaponized. Who knows the most about Pat Tillman? I, I do. I think it's Jordan, yeah. It's, it's the oh. good troop. So Pat Tillman after 9-11 was a linebacker with the Arizona Cardinals. He turned down a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract to actually go to Ranger School and become a member of the 75th Ranger Regiment. He, and this is all after 9-11. Him and his brother both signed up to be Army Rangers. And he thought he would be fighting in Afghanistan and whatever, that's fine. You know what? That's the war. That's, that's my fight after, because 9-11 was our Pearl Harbor. So you know what? I need to do this for my country. Then the Iraq war happened. And, and then Pat Tillman, who was a very intelligent, very articulate human being who could, who wrote his feelings down. He was very, he he lived his feelings off of his sleeve. Like you knew exactly what he meant by things. He actually had a correspondence with Noam Chomsky too, which is still one of the most amazing things ever if you think about. And he would say things like the Iraq war was fucking illegal. He would, he, he was totally against the Iraq war. And then another rotation to Afghanistan, he was killed in a friendly fire incident involving some of his troops. Um, it was him and an Afghan National Army soldier that was killed in the firefight. Another one was wounded. And that's where the cover-up starts happening. Because immediately after his death, they start 
the Department of Defense and the Army go into full damage control mode. So what you have is you have awards being created saying that Pat Tillman was died charging a machine gun nest, which never happened. He was killed by his own troops. You have destruction of evidence. For example, Pat Tillman's body armor, Pat Tillman's uniform, Pat Tillman's personal effects never made it back to the States. As a matter of fact, no one knows what happened to his personal journal, which was the last point was General Stanley McChrystal, who was uh, the leader of Special Operations Command at the time. So you had this full cover-up, and then you had this a story that was given out that he died valiantly in the field of battle as if it was, mm. as if it was like a John Wayne movie. Yeah. And like, that's how it's, it's illustrated. Like on Memorial day, I think is a big one that the NFL uses to promote pictures of him. Um, and every MAGA asshole on Memorial day is talking about Pat Tillman, despite the fact that Pat Tillman would fucking hate every single one of you. Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. And like the, the Kaepernick thing came up around then too. And like, again, gets connected, like, Kaepernick is in the NFL. He kneels. So he's disrespecting the troops and the flag and Pat Tillman because Pat Tillman served the country. So you're really disrespecting. Like it's just complete bullshit. But like, like I would the- put my house up on the market right now. I would actually, I wouldn't even put it on the market. I would give you my house. I am that confident that Pat Tillman would be taking a knee right next to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. But his, but his message gets completely misconstrued. Like we've talked mm-hmm. about in this in this blind effort of nationalism and patriotism because he was an american soldier yeah every and there's no bigger bastion of americanism than the troops in a post 9-11 world yep. yeah every memorial day the nfl will always post up to like pat tillman gave the ultimate sacrifice when he died for nothing yeah straight up nothing in an illegal war, like he yeah, was murdered. Died. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, I'm sure the guy he that was, was murdered. The yeah, guy that was talking with Noam Chomsky. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of uh, kind of evidence that there might have been some stuff that wasn't above board. Like for with example, his death. He, yeah, if like for example, the uh, like autopsy said that it looks like he was shot point blank. Yeah, it was like. And that's not an easy thing to do with like an M16 because five five six from distances will leave a much. Yeah, it's a, it's it's not consistent with what the story they even told about his friendly fire is, and because they said they just like lit him up when he was like five hundred yards away with like a fifty caliber machine gun. And, yeah, uh, and oh, man, and like when you synthesize all that stuff with like that respect of the troops or this like inherent like love we're supposed to have and like one of my least favorite things is like when people refer to their family members who serve this country or whatever especially when speaking to, about Kaepernick or something like that they say my grandfather served in this country or xxx whoever my ancestors fought for this country um completely ignoring the fact about how many black people served this country despite being legally second class citizens or literal slaves at different points of this country so when we think about actual independence yeah, that like we had an independence day away from Britain, but for a large chunk of our population here, they were still or were slaves for um, centuries after that. So like independence wasn't gained simply by declaring fo- away from Britain for the majority or f- for a plurality of Americans. Like that was still had to be, yet to be earned through the Civil War and then a, another century of living as second class citizens uh, in this country. So Black people had to fight for this country too, despite having uh, no rights. 
given by this country. And I think the more harmful effect of it too, besides like the racial aspect of it, which is, yeah, it's horrible for that too. But in our current discourse as well, I think the sort of praise that we gave to the security apparatus, the troops and the police have created this toxic culture that just, that just fully manifests within the military and the police. Like that's why you will see like, that's why you'll see like military people now wearing like nine line apparel ones too. Like Mm -hmm. every war criminal that goes on to Fox news is somehow wearing a nine lines apparel t-shirt every, or you'll see a grunt style or ranger up or any of these like vet bro companies that creates like t-shirts to just say like, stomp my flag. I'll stomp your ass. Yep. And, And it's, it's American fascism at its finest too. It's just, it's pretty much the standard. You don't love it to get out. And yeah, that jingoism is so gross. Yeah. Let's talk about the culture of that whole thing because despite us like striving for a more perfect union, mind you, I know there's something so weird. Like the whole point of being an American is to try to make things better but the second that we try to do so, we're told to leave. It's, exactly. It's the, uh, it's the Matt Boers comic. Yeah. That we should improve society somewhat. And then Mitch, Mr. Gotcha pulls up and, and is like, oh, well, I see that you participate in society. While hmm, being critical of it. Now, it really wow. is. How can you – so, like, when you say make America great again, that implies that it's not good right now. But then if you point out the things that are not good about it, then you immediately are, are automatically hating the country and you should leave or go back to where you came from if you're an immigrant. Like, right. But it, that whole, I, that whole idea just fits in this, in this very, very small box and anything outside of that is treasonous. Also the liberal um, idea of Hillary Clinton saying America is already great. Don't do that. <laughs> Continue yeah, to be critical of this country. <laughs> do not just pretend like things are good because uh, Trumpers are saying things are bad. You mean um, that every single thing in this world that wasn't a good idea? Yeah. But seriously, every single thing in this world, if you want to grow, you have to be critical and and pinpoint your mistakes. Exactly. Otherwise, I, I, I talk about this a lot, especially when I used to coach basketball and football. What I would tell my kids is I'm fine with mistakes. You can make mistakes, making mistakes are human. But if you continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, that's a problem. And one thing that I cannot accept are problems. And that's, that, in my opinion, encompasses what's wrong with America. Because yeah. America keeps making the, the same mistakes over and over again, but there's no tolerance to fix that. And if you point that out, then you're the one in the wrong because you're yeah. going against your country and you're unpatriotic and you hate the troops and you hate the stars and stripes. It's horseshit. Yeah, that whole idea of like on being unable to be critical of something that you that you care about. I mean, like, yeah, people, if people say they, they care about America or I mean, this is all of our homes. We've grown up here. We've lived here and we have a stake in it. And if we want to make it better, we have to be critical of the things that are making it bad. And we have to we can't just ignore problems. We can't pretend like there's no legacy of slavery in this country and the impact that that's had on real people's lives today. Or like our imperialism, our, our imperialist project that is continuing now, um, and we see with like our troops being still being present in places like Afghanistan, despite the fact that we know as of the the, of the Afghanistan papers that were released in 2018 that were the entire thing is complete bullshit, and we've been lying just to maintain 
a presence there. And like we, but it doesn't matter just cause you know, they're still out there protecting our freedoms. Um, and that culture piece that, that you guys mentioned is a huge part of it, whether it's clothing or local companies like black rifle coffee, <laughs> because I think Greg, Greg knows a lot about black rifle coffee. I'm, I'm going to let, I'm going to pass the, uh, the torch over to, uh, Jordan to give a, uh, an intro <laughs> And then I'm a cook because I got thoughts. Hey, all right, let's go. Tell <laughs> us about Black Rifle Coffee, Jordan. So Black Rifle Coffee is a is a coffee company that I guess just repackages it here. There's no coffee plants in Utah, so I have no idea what they're actually going to create from that. But they're a veteran-based company, which means that they're incredibly that they're just incredibly uh, just annoying in the way that they talk about talk about their product because it's always just has to have like fun veteran names and like even things that don't even make sense to like, they have to put like gun names and everything. Like they have like a brand that's like called like silencers, like silencer secret or something like that. It <laughs> makes no sense for a, like a coffee brand, but they at least they got the alliteration down. I mean, that's just good marketing. Oh yeah. They got the alliteration down, which is nice. Also like, I don't know if you really want to have anything that has SS on your coffee, but what <laughs> But um, yeah, that's a, that's a kind of <laughs> God damn. But um, but also they also love to just like bring gun culture into coffee because the one thing I love to when I sit down with a nice cup of hot coffee in the morning too is also have it right next to my AR-15 because you know coffee might make me high strung, but at least you know I'm ready to I don't know fend off a motorcycle gang or something. I don't know. Absolutely. You don't need that for breakfast. Oh, man. So right. um, as, as people who know me uh, know that I fancy myself uh, a bit of a, a marketing and branding expert, been in the industry for a long time, won a few awards, <coughs> a Webby, <coughs> no big deal. Um, and I, I have done a bit of a deep dive and some research into Black Rifle Coffee. And I really feel like they're, they're not hitting the mark when it comes to their target demographic. And a lot of it has to do with their name, Black Rifle Coffee. I mean, I get it, it's tough, it's somewhat cool, it's provocative, but I really think there needs to be a rebrand and a rename to let me see my kids coffee. And what I mean by that is every single person who, who buys Black Rifle Coffee has a name like fucking Braxton or Brock. They have a closet full of Under Armour clothes. Uh, and they are in the middle of just a horrifically ugly custody battle with their second wife, Vanessa. And every nice. other day, they're just screaming into the fucking phone, give me back my son! Like, like they're Mel Gibson in Ransom. Oh. And I really think they need, just need to really do a hard lean straight into that demographic. So guys, holler at me. I'm happy to be your creative director and we are going to launch. Let me see my kids coffee. <laughs> Hell yes. Every no, single one of their, like, and we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get Aubrey Huff as the spokesperson and we're going to launch this brand into the stratosphere. It's not just going to be Utah anymore. We're going to go nationwide and then we're going to go global, baby. We're going to take over the world. Every single divorced dad in the entire world is going to be drinking let me see my kids coffee. Yeah, we, we need those guys and we need the demographic of those guys with the uh, selfie in the front seat of their car wearing Oakley's. Like that's, that's gotta be big. 
absolutely no it's uh it's gonna be a lot of like they should have just like a brand of coffee that's just called family court Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes please (laughs) oh man um yeah so get it get it greg for your marketing needs he he could take you to the next level absolutely this is a black rifle coffee endorsed i'm actually in the middle of just enjoying a second degree assault blend right now <laughs> my god my third cup of the day or third cup of the day it's fucking delicious guys oh okay <laughs> what's uh not only not only that but it actually really helps me i went to the gym this morning and i was able to put up 315 pounds oh hell yeah um granted i was in the middle i was doing i blew out three of the discs in my back because i was doing bridge pose while i was pushing the weight but i fucking got it guys absolutely everything to do with let me see my kids coffee let's Shouts out. go so um speaking of let me let me say let me see my kids uh coffee let's let's talk about donald trump and what he's up to uh currently in you know getting he's gearing up for it, it's campaign season he's trying to play the classics he's going to you know he's he's um releasing a $14.88 baseball or t-shirt or whatever. Um, Just random, you know, Nazi stuff that they're, that they're promoting still just completely innocuously. But um, there's been a lot of talk lately about statues, monuments, that type of thing. And obviously people are now talking about the incredible and totally not tacky rock mountain statue of Mount Rushmore. So, uh, we love the rocks, folks. We love we do. it. So big. It's so beautiful. Trump, <laughs> Trump did decided to have Hodge for his supporters, and they're doing like a Coachella at Mount Rushmore um, yesterday Make and that this co- weekend. Coachella, Coachella, Coachella nice. POV. Right, because I mean, he's still doing this. They're still kind of pretending like coronavirus isn't a thing, despite Don Jr.'s wife, uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle, getting okay. coronavirus. Sorry, what was that? It's his girlfriend. Oh, sorry. I thought they were married. Okay. Well, we know, what's really funny about that is that um, he doesn't. He goes. He doesn't get divorced until he buys stock and let me see my kids' coffee. <laughs> yes, that's a great point. So <laughs> Don, Don Junior is now being forced to isolate with, um, and they're making Don Junior drive back to DC from <laughs> from Mount Rushmore, which is a twenty-four hour drive. <laughs> they're not letting him fly back dude that's so funny oh man i love i love don jr it's classic but um yeah so basically trump had a campaign rally at mount rushmore um completely like low energy trump's probably i think trump's really accepting the fact that he's got to lose the presidency and he's kind of just going through the motions some days he's really just not up for it um biden is still in hiding which is uh surprisingly effective strategy for the democrats at this point it's it's wild he's gonna win the election solely because he's not online absolutely they they hiding him as much as they can at this point is is a good call because every time he goes out there he says something ridiculous and really stupid but trump's just sinking the ship um including basically their new message for coronavirus is just like we're gonna have to just live with it um, because they've completely given up. So just um, straight, straight punted yeah. in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking of not being online and in hiding, you know, we may not have gotten the Bernie candidacy, the Bernie presidency, 
But what we are going to get is the weekend at Bernie's presidency. We absolutely are. I, that man is not fit to do anything. Um, bless his, bless his old ass, uh, eulogizing for a white separatist and nationalist heart. Um, yeah, so Co- Coachella, Coachella took place at Mount Rushmore this weekend. Trump has his all of his uh, fans out there who are waiting for quite some time to just go sit very closely amongst each other. Um, he gave his, his stump speeches, whatever that even is at this point, just kind of ranting about the fake news and all that. Um, yeah, what are, you, what are you guys thinking about uh, old Trump at this stage in the game? <laughs> This is just like the perfect like metaphor for death of empire. Just a, just a, uh, <laughs> a, a man who just like randomly just starts naming people for statues. Just like uh, Harriet Tubman, Douglas MacArthur, Audie Murphy, George Patton. You know, just leaves <laughs> that for like an hour, and then just in front of like a gaudy monument, just to yeah. It, it's the perfect. You know like, what, guys? Guys. We're going to build a monument to Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> I was, if it wasn't for a husband, I would have shagged her in 84. You know, I'm honestly surprised like that. Beautiful. The hair. The bod. I'm honestly surprised that garden statue that he's proposing just isn't full of like women he could have fucked in the 80s. Oh, man. Yeah. Ireland. Oh. You think Speaking- she's good looking, but up close she's actually a six. Speaking of which, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, but we we don't need to talk about that right now. Um, yeah, dude, yeah. or give like it, a statue. Give it a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Yeah, it, we'll see if she dies soon. We'll, we'll we'll address that in some upcoming episodes. Yeah, um, or Trump making a statue of Graydon Carter just so people are able to tear it down in front of the, the White House. I would love that. Um, yeah, he's he's just going up to the Graydon Carter statue like Nixon went up to like the Lincoln Memorial. Just like, <laughs> Look what you do in my place, Graydon. <laughs> Although your Emmy parties still suck. Oh man, I mean it—it's so weird. He is so like I was—I was—I caught like I was seeing clips of his speech last night at Mount Rushmore, and it's just—it's just depressing. The people who were out there hoping for like the normal Trump comedy routine didn't even get that. He was just so low energy. He was trying to say. He tried to say totalitarianism, and it was like the craziest thing I had ever heard anyone say. Totally, re- totally reanism. Yes, to- totalitarianism or something. He's struggling. Total realism. Yeah, Junior. Poor guy. So he's he's gonna lose. Not poor guy. Fuck him. I know. Absolutely fuck him. But I I think it's hilarious to force him to go through these motions at this point. Even though they got they got to know things are looking really bleak for him, and he's gonna lose. So leading into the fact that we need to have a debate between Trump and Biden, and we need to get these men one on one, mano a mano, see who has the mental fortitude to take the other down. And like, you know, both teams are going to be drugging up their, yeah. Both teams are going to be drugging up their fighters with every stimulant they can. And just like putting them out there. Like when the last time Biden debated Bernie, he was like out of commission for like two weeks because of all the things they pumped into that guy. So Joe, getting ready Joe for the Biden big, is gonna be it's gonna be like the scene in Scarface. Yes. He just plops his head on the desk and a mountain of cocaine, except there it's not gonna be <laughs> cocaine, it's just gonna be straight adrenochrome. <laughs> They're gonna crystallize oh, adrenochrome and man. put Joe Biden's face in the mountain. 
Yeah, absolutely. Joe, yeah, Joe Biden's debate prep is just essentially the scene from Pulp Fiction where John Travolta just stabs a needle right in Uma Thurman's chest. Yeah. I say goddamn, goddamn. Yeah, my God, dude, it's going to be so crazy. I really hope we get one debate. I don't know what it's, what it's going to be like um, or what the format is, but man. And you but- know what? Even if we don't get that, like, just give me the fucking Suns debate. We need the Suns debate the more than anything. Suns. Give me Donald Trump Jr. versus Hunter Biden. I have never wanted anything more in my entire life. <laughs> my, my son's birth would come second to that debate. Oh, man. it's. I really I hope we get it. So much. Only, only if they leave, like, a massive amount of crack cocaine in hunter's dressing room beforehand too because i want to see manic hunter biden absolutely yeah man it's gonna be so great i can't wait assuming we actually get that which we probably won't but whatever um yeah so trump stuff we got biden saving the day um let's let's talk uh why we're here radicalization stories who wants to lead us off you know i'll go first uh you know we, we talked about this earlier too, just because like we thought that since it's the 4th of July, it'd be a good idea to talk about like what brought us to where we are now. And um, I have to admit a few things first. First off, before 2016, I was a massive lib. I, yeah, four years ago, I would hate myself, but luckily we're, I have had a massive road to Damascus moment. So here I am now. Um, my uh, real, my real uh, sort of radicalization moment came right after the election because like I said, before the election, I was a 2016, mass- right? 2016. Before then, I was a massive liberal, you know, it was like I was always just checking like Nate Silver, like he's given Hillary an 85% chance. You know what? That's, that's crazy. It's not going to happen. I think Hillary's going to win 350 electoral votes. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of level. Like, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I've tracked like my uh, progression politically with like Peter Dow. So it's been nice. <laughs> Dude, um, nice. So yeah, I used to listen to Pod Save America too, or like the pre, or like the pre Bill Simmons version, which was like keeping it 1600 or something, which apparently none of them know what that meant. So it was awesome. But um, I used to listen to it too with their little swarmy little voices, just like, <laughs> like oh, I hate that swarm they do every single time. But um, the election one too, they had the like the live stream one too, and every single time I would cut back to them, they would get more and more frantic. Yeah. Then by the end of it too, it was just like, oh, um, we lost. Their voices are cracking too. It's like we thought we had the candidate we needed. We thought we had the data. The crazy thing is, like, John uh, uh, John Lovett pretty much said, like, Bernie would have won. Nice. And that, that started getting the wheels turned in my head, too. And then, like, the following weeks after that, too, they would kind of move out of their, their depressive phase and back. And they're like, well, the Democrats need to come back in and do it. And then I wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready just for that, too. Like, I remember everyone just being, like, sad and depressive. State. I wasn't there. I was angry. Like, I was angry because I felt like I had been lied to the entire time. I felt like I was misled with what the Democratic Party was doing, what the Democratic Party had, what their competence was. Yeah. And by the end of it, too, it was like I was trying everything possible. Like, you know what? We need to do something new. I tried calling, like, the Democratic Party headquarters in Utah, too. It was like, how can I help? What can I do to actually get this going? And, of course, I never got a response, so whatever. And then I started listening to Chapo as well just because, like, well – I guess I can listen to this too. I started with the post-election one too. And their anger matched my anger. And then from there, it was just kind of 
took me in that direction too, because it was less and less pod save America bullshit and more like Chapo sort of, we need to organize ourselves because no political party is going to help us in that one. And that mm. just took me along my line. And now I stand before you, the proud socialist I am. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty understandable. I think I, I would hope to think a lot of people found themselves in a similar situation after um, 2016 because they like Hillary had all the credentials. She had the experience. She was like the candidate that was like um, the most qualified candidate of all time. Yes, absolutely. And you know, what's the most frustrating thing is how little introspection the democratic party has done since then really. Um, and that no one really learned the lesson. A lot of things came along after that, like blaming Russia for what happened, blaming who else did they blame? Blame all well, the Bernie bros, obviously. Um, yeah. Even though like, again, yeah, Jill Stein people, and Susan Sarandon. Yes. The people being completely unable to criticize the thing that they care about, like, um, and actually have critiques about why certain outcomes happens. Um, I'll go next if that's cool. Um, so I uh, grew up here in Utah um, to a pretty conservative family. Um, I think like most people that grew up here. Um, but like in my early teens, mid teens felt very strongly about the fight for marriage equality and gay marriage in this country. And I think that's when I first started to realize I wasn't like, I, I mean, I just thought, you know, at this point, like Democrats are, are bad or Republicans are better, probably. I don't really remember what I thought it was like when I was like a kid, but um, I just know like, like my family, they were Republicans and I like my family. So it, throughout my teens, marriage equality was like a big issue for me. Um, got in a lot of arguments with family members about that. And then um, also the war on drugs was, was pretty big for me. I saw like influence of drugs in a lot of people's lives like around me. And the, criminaliza the criminalization of that type of thing and how I very clearly saw that it didn't actually end up helping anyone. Um, so, yeah, that led to me thinking I was some sort of like libertarian. <laughs> and then as I became more, con more conscious during this time period, like this is during the Obama presidency, um, I, was, I became very anti-war as well. So pro-legalization of, of drugs, anti-war, pro-gay marriage, um, kind of was mixed on guns. I think I still kind of am actually, but uh, didn't really know there was like a left criticism of Obama at the time. I was like, I don't like Republicans. I don't like Democrats because Obama is just still drone striking civilians in the Middle East. And I know that's bad, but I know like the reason why we're in the Middle East, that's bad too. And I don't like George Bush. So thinking I was a, I was uh, some sort of like weird civil libertarian or whatever until like I started to like look at the like when I would see libertarian economic arguments or like stuff like healthcare and that type of thing made no sense to me. Um, and it wasn't until 2015 when or in the lead up to the 2016 election, specifically during the Democratic primary, when I started to like really pay attention to Bernie Sanders. And I was like, damn, this is some real shit. Like felt it very strongly went to um, the Bernie rally in 2016, uh, and well, at least I tried to, but there were t so many people that like, I didn't even get in cause there were like nearly 20,000 people at this is the place to see Bernie Sanders in 2016 on the same day as a Trump rally. 
um, where they held the Trump rally in a place where we used to have middle school dance parties, which is funny. <laughs> so went to the went to the Trump protest outside after um, and really got very invested in the Bernie campaign. And it wasn't until like um, and around the same time I started to have a lot of my own like struggles with our healthcare system not realizing I was still under the age of, of 26. I think at this time I was 23 or 24 and um, didn't really have to deal with the healthcare system in a very um, personal way, just because I had insurance through my parents and they kind of dealt with a lot of the stuff that, and I was super healthy um, at around the same time when I was getting like a bit older and closing closer to not having my parents insurance anymore. Um, I started to have a lot more health problems and started to see how much things really cost, even having like really good health insurance, supposedly. And then turned 26, ended up losing my insurance um, or my insurance changed uh, when my company got acquired and I lost my ability to see all the specialists I was seeing for quite some time. So um, even though I still had it really good and had insurance and all of that, like there were these roadblocks put up for me that like I couldn't really figure out why they were there was realizing how much stuff actually cost and could not start to like understand and started to understand like how impossible it is for like people who are far less fortunate than I am to survive in this system, seeing how much people pay for their premiums their deductible, all that stuff. Like healthcare is one of like the greatest stains on this country um, that effects like the poor and working people um disproportionately made up of brown and black people uh far more so like and you're seeing it right now with like coronavirus so like the communities that are hit harder the majority or the um disproportionate amount of deaths that black and brown people make up for coronavirus like all these things are certainly connected our healthcare system is so fucking broken so it was for me, it was that combination of like seeing how and then from there, it's just a very slippery slope into, uh, you know, what we are now or what I am now. And you start to become a lot more critical. Um, your eyes get a lot more opened and you become a lot more critical of every aspect of society, not just healthcare and the things that affect me directly, but like the things that, you know, have continued this it's not even status quo when things have been getting so materi materially worse for, for people for decades. And so when, when you have Trump people saying, make America great again, I don't really know what they mean. And, but I know that when Hillary says, you know, America's already great, I know that that's wrong too. So um, that's where I found myself very to the left of what the Democrats were trying to fight back against Trumpism with, which is returning to a, a normal scene. That's what we have with Biden, unfortunately, is going to be returning to conditions that we just had right before Trump and that led to Trump. So um, I think it's important for us to maintain a, a very strong level of criticism for that type of return to normalcy. And that's kind of where, how I ended up here politically. Any questions, Boyds? Ah, uh, pretty straightforward, I think, at this point. I think that's probably a similar experience that a lot of people have had. Greg, take it away, my friend. Um, so I'm going to try to get through this uh, without getting super emotional, because this is something uh, that's very, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the first reason why I became quote unquote radicalized is because I've had an incredibly privileged life. Um, and I've had advantages in my life due to socioeconomic status, 
um, and, and other factors that have enriched my life and my family's life. You know, I'm one of the few people who's not crippled with debt. You know, I'm one of the few millennials who owns a home. Um, and I want nothing more than for everyone to have those same advantages. And one of my big things that I believe is that if you are a leftist and if your leftism isn't rooted in empathy and compassion, you're doing it wrong. Those, to me, that's the absolute cornerstone. Um, and then shifting gears, uh, another reason that, that radicalized me, um, much like Jordan, I was a lib um, for a very long time. And I graduated and, and was in my early 20s during the Obama administration, um, where Obama, he, he campaigned as a hope and change populist that was going to bring change. And then it, it didn't happen. You know, I graduated in 2009 with a degree in journalism from the University of Utah. I couldn't find a job to save my life. And it took me two and a half years after graduating to actually be able to find a job in my field because I had to intern and work for free. Um, so seeing that failure of hope and change that I just so vehemently supported re really turned me off to the, uh, the Democratic Party. I had already known that the Republicans were awful. I was in high school. I remember in high school protesting the Iraq war and just seeing the awfulness of the Bush administration. So I was completely turned off from that. And then we had Obama um, who just to me seemed like that, that perfect, that beacon of, of, of freedom, that hope and change that we need. And that just turned out to be nothing more than one gigantic disappointment. So I found myself without a home in a two party system. Um, and for a really long time, um, I, I didn't know what to do. And I thought, much like you, Kyle, that I was a libertarian because I didn't think there were any other options. And then once 2016 hit is when, and, and Trump won, that's when I really realized that, no, I don't have to be a libertarian. I don't have to be a Democrat. I don't have to be a Republican, that there is another option. Um, and Bernie Sanders really opened my eyes and seeing seeing a new progressive push with people like AOC and the squad and realizing that like, I finally had a home. Um, and that was another thing was just finally feeling like there are people and an ideology out there that matches what I believe. But the number one thing uh, that fully radicalized me was six years ago in May, I lost my brother. He died um, due to a brain hemorrhage from Chiari malformation, which is a disease. Uh, it's a, it's a congenital brain condition where brain tissue uh, protrudes into the spinal canal. Uh, and it causes incredible headaches and awkwardness and balance problems and mood swings. Uh, and my brother died when he was 32 years old. His first surgery was when he was 17. And in those 15 years, he had 22 brain surgeries. And due to those brain surgeries, he also developed a condition called hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, which caused even more headaches. So I saw my brother in that decade and a half uh, absolutely suffer. He couldn't have a job. He could barely maintain a family. 
uh, and I saw firsthand the horrors of the healthcare system. I saw him be turned away by doctors who refused to operate on him uh, because of liability. And, and I saw healthcare providers who refused to provide him insurance because he was too much of a risk. And I saw his medical bills grow from the hundreds to the thousands, to the tens of thousands, to the hundreds of thousands, to the millions. By the time my brother died, he had racked up millions with an M of medical bills that he wasn't able to pay. And during, during these last six years, I've tried to do quite a bit of introspection and I just simply cannot respect a healthcare system that exploits and, and targets and demonizes the most vulnerable in our society. And there is not a single person in this world that I miss more than my brother. The very last thing I ever told my brother was, I love you. And it's those words that, that still to this day, just, it just tears me apart. And I just, I cannot support uh, a system that does that. And we have Republicans and Democrats that prop this system up and as far prop as this, yeah, they prop the system up and then make little tiny reforms and thinking they're saving, saving the world. Exactly. Though, and I just, yeah. I can't, I can't do it. I, I witnessed it firsthand and my brother is simply one example of millions of people who have been fucked over by this system. So I choose a different path and I will be an advocate for Medicare for all for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think that's like the center point that you mentioned, like uh, the cornerstone of like our politics is like the empathy and solidarity for other people, because like despite like having advantages that like the three of us have had that many other people don't have, like it can like we didn't do anything special to be able to do to deserve like um, we just were born at the right time in the right place. But all the people that don't have those same privileges as us suffer even worse. Um and for no reason other than the fact that our system is designed that way. Like, yeah, I, it's, it's just abhorrent. So like when we think about celebrating America for what it is, um, like we need to look at what it is and the systems and these structures that we have that other countries don't, don't have to suffer with. Like I just saw somebody arguing on Twitter, like, um, being critical like oh you, oh you don't think america like it was on jazz twitter there was someone responding like oh you don't you don't think like the united states is the best country in the world like name a better country like I, one i don't even know what that means but two <laughs> objectively by any measure like i don't know what how this country became so cucked that that we're willing to accept that type of thing like yeah like why, why would we ever, I, I, I remember like the Obamacare people being freaked out about the death panels or whatever, but like, that's what insurance, private insurance is. They, they were making decisions about Greg's brother, whether he was going to live or get treatment or not. Like yeah. it's, it's quite literally a death panel and a, a private insurance company operating on its most efficient is paying zero. Like that, that's their goal is to pay as little as possible. And to do well, and we're seeing that right now with, with COVID yeah. You're seeing this hospital system that is not built to serve the American need and to serve the American public. It is, it is built to serve 
the the owners, the CEOs, the executives of these insurance companies, and it's it's built for profit, not for care. It's and it's because they all believe in a market solution for this type of right. And it's, it's and we're seeing a system that is completely overwhelmed in being brought to its knees, and we yeah. cannot accept this any longer. I I I I'm. I'm I'm very emotional and very upset right now because it's just it's the one thing that I am uh, out of all the things of leftism that I am the most ardent supporter of. Did you guys see that sliding scale that Arizona came out with that pretty much just said that if you have a certain level of quality of life they could pretty much just pull the plug on you? Yeah. It's I mean it's it's quite literally like uh, ethnic and class cleansing, like what's happening right now with coronavirus. Um, yeah, yeah, well, and it, it's, it's the same strategy we use towards towards the homeless and the poor. Idiot. Yeah, it was like the only difference between us and like a genocidal state is we just put it on slow mo. Mm-hmm. Like and, really, and, yeah, yeah, we really don't care about them. Like you, we don't. Yeah, you can go live in the Liberty or Liberty or Pioneer Park, but if you drop dead. So be it. Yeah, and and not to like pretend like other countries don't have problems, but like you see countries that have handled this well. Like we in Utah, I think are now about the amount. Of, I think we're over the death toll just in Utah um, versus places like South Korea. And like there are countries that handled this very well because at a certain level they value every human life a lot more than we do. So out of here with your all lives matter bullshit if you don't believe in like a single payer healthcare system that is based on on people on actual humanity first and like that's why it's so fucking annoying and disgusting to hear any type of person speak about um the governorship or the presidency or anything like that being like running it like a business like we always heard that about trump or he's running it like a business or mitt romney that was his big sell is that he's a successful businessman not to mention what he actually did as like at a private equity company and what they that that actually does, but yeah, like fucking president dagger. Yeah, it's every single president that's like ran on running as a businessman has just ran it into the fucking ground. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, yeah, from Hoover, because from running here. a country isn't a business. We're not trying. Like, we're not all just. Uh, low-level employees or something. Although this is pretty indicative of how American companies function too um, at large. But uh, yeah, like we aren't, we aren't just, humans aren't just supposed to be like a business asset or a consumer or something like that. Like they're supposed to be, like there is a level of humanity that is not recognized in this country that is in others. And we need to strive for that to be actually front and center. No amount of a country or excuse me, a company sending an email saying that racism is bad or something like that will ever change that because it's not just about looking at our differences or looking at, you know, seeing somebody who looks different than you and realizing that, you know, differences are good. But it's like quite literally a restructuring of society where our hu- human needs are front and center rather than seeing every individual human life as a consumer or, um, you know, just something that's, that's just a material object, you know, it's just, it's fucking horrifying. Yeah. Corporations don't really have the ability to build aircraft carriers. I mean, not yet. Cause that's probably coming next decade or so with the more privatization of the military, but uh, not yet. Yeah. Not yet. I'm going to leave you guys with this. And one of the things that we've heard over and over in a free market capitalist system is profits over people. 
and it is my fervent and ardent belief that America will not be great until people trump profits. Absolutely. Yeah, can't can't really say it better than that. But um, yeah, happy Fourth of July! Happy Fourth of July to (laughs) everyone out there. Don't we just feel great about America? We do. We really do. We do. Anyway. All right. Before, um, before we leave, we got to make sure to tell you, smash that like button, yes. smash that subscribe button, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening. Uh, leave a review. Like I said, smash those buttons. Follow us on Twitter at Kylipso, at Johnny underscore UT, at GI Joey Jojo, at BY Money Pod. Um, and take care of each other, guys. Oh, yeah. Happy 4th of July. Bye. Thanks, folks. Bye.